Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. We're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19. All new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. The Oracle Network. Hey there, Rainbow Warriors and... Reverie True Crime listeners. Welcome to our Sinister Series for the month of October. We're your hosts, CJ... And Paige. Join us as we tell you stories of where something evil lurks in the spirit of Halloween slash spooky season. Blah, blah, blah. I want to bite your neck. Are vampires real? Do you believe in vampires? Are the only true vampires Edward from Twilight and Count Chocula? Just like people who think the zombie apocalypse is on its way, there's some people who truly believe they're vampires and that they've lived for hundreds of years. Vampires, however, are just folklore. They can only exist by feeding off the blood of the living. This episode, we turn to the country of Australia for a couple of stories about women who truly do believe they're vampires. Your daughter is so adorable, said the lady at the grocery store in Dorset, Southwest England. Oh, thank you, said the father of the 10-year-old girl. 
She's the life and soul of our family. Not long after this brief encounter, the family would move to Australia. It wasn't a sudden move. The idea had been tossed around for quite a while. The father's chest burst with pride. His daughter Stacy Mitchell was indeed a precocious, sweet, and spunky little girl. For all that sweetness, the spunk seemed to outweigh everything in her teen years. Stacy definitely possessed a rebellious quality that's prevalent in many teenagers. At the age of 16, Stacy's relationship with her folks was rocky. Stacy knew what was best for her, and her parents just had to ruin everything. Without thinking too hard on it, Stacy ran away from her family home near Perth. Her family consisted of her parents, her older brother, and her two younger sisters. December 13, 2006, Stacy had been missing six days before her parents reported her missing. They kept hoping after she cooled down some that she'd return home on her own. During the six days Stacy was away from her home, she stayed with several different friends. One of the last friends she stayed with introduced her to a young lesbian couple. They lived in a home with a 27-year-old man. The lesbian couple and the man seemed to have an extra room available. Stacy, in need of a more permanent place to stay, well, she was ecstatic to be meeting these girls. She thought this was going to be a perfect situation. Plus, she was gaining a couple new friends. Stacy had no idea of the darkness that lived within these young women. The young women were 19-year-old Valerie Parashumpty and 20-year-old Jessica Stasinowski. Valerie had grown up in a very violent home. Her dad was physically and sexually abusive to her, her siblings, and her mother. As the eldest, Valerie tried hard to take it upon herself to try and protect her siblings. She did the best she could. But one day when her father attacked her, he held a sharp garden tool to her throat. He threatened to kill her. Eventually, he would be incarcerated for inflicting injuries upon her mother. At the age of 16, Valerie was in a car accident, and this caused some light brain damage. Mentally, her life up until now had taken a very negative impact on Valerie's psyche. In October 2006... Just a couple months before she met Stacy and invited her to live with them, Valerie had a run-in with law enforcement. She threw a brick smashing a window at the Joondaloop Youth Support Center. She'd also threatened staff there with a meat cleaver. Valerie was a ticking time bomb. Jessica's parents had divorced when she was young. This left her always feeling lonely and empty. In her teen years, she started to inflict self-pain upon herself. This included cutting and burning herself. Eventually, Jessica had run away from her life. She sold her body for money and she started to use drugs. It would seem the affect of both Valerie and Jessica's worlds and the trauma that they endured would somehow draw these two girls together. They started to pique an interest in vampire culture. 
Valerie in particular was obsessed with vampires and she considered herself one. She was especially aroused by torture and violence. Valerie, who had become a member of a vampire cult, actually would drink the blood of animals. I had mentioned earlier a 27-year-old man Valerie and Jessica lived with. His name is David Haynes. The lesbian couple asked David if he'd be cool with Stacy moving in. They told him that she was in desperate need of a place to stay. David said, yeah, that's fine. So Stacy settled in. Just four days into her stay at her new home, Stacy and Valerie were getting a little flirty with each other. Jessica noticed this, and she was not happy about it whatsoever. Privately, Jessica confronted her girlfriend Valerie about the flirt-flirt going on with her and Stacy, and it didn't help matters any that Stacy had a habit of walking around the house in her underwear. For Stacy, it was an innocent act, something she did without thinking about. She always did it at her family home. Valerie told Jessica she was just being silly. Then she told Jessica it was her she loved, not Stacy. But Jessica kept at it. Finally, Valerie asked Jessica, What do I have to do to prove to you I'm not interested in that girl? Do you want me to kill her? Jessica said yes. Later that afternoon, Jessica and Valerie were grinding glass in a mortar and pestle. They were planning to make Stacy swallow the glass and bleed out internally. David was walking through and he asked what the couple was doing, and they told David. He told them that sounded like an agonizing death, and that Stacy would make too much noise consuming glass and probably alert the neighbors. The couple assumed David was right. They made a mental note to themselves to make sure Stacy doesn't die loudly. The young women ditched the glass idea and chose a different plan. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Valerie kept asking David to help them. He continually and firmly told them no. But David still had no balls, because if he did, he would have called the police on him right then and there. Valerie told David he'd better disappear to his room if he doesn't want to be part of it, and to turn his music up loud when they started. And then Valerie told David if he tried to stop it, he'd be hurt too. Call the damn police, David! While Valerie and Jessica were busy plotting, Stacy was on the phone with her parents. After some tears and apologies by both sides, they came to a reconciliation. Stacy promised she would be back home the following day. A little later in the night, Valerie and Jessica invited Stacy to come into the living room and sit, have a shot of whiskey with them. Valerie was able to crush a couple of sleeping pills and put it in Stacy's shot as well. 
As the night went on, the girls were filling the drinks, especially Stacy. Hers were laced with sleeping pills. David was walking through when Valerie told him it was time for him to go to his room. The sackless little mouse did as he was told. As he shut his bedroom door, he heard Jessica yell, Now! And then a loud thud. Valerie came up behind Stacy with a cement paver. You know, one of those brick-like things that are often used as steps in gardens, or they're stacked up to make a garden wall? I'd say each one of those weighs about 10 to 15 pounds. Valerie bashed the paver over Stacy's head, and as Stacy was trying to escape, Valerie continued to bash her over the head with it until the paver broke. An unconscious Stacy, however, was still very much alive to the couple's surprise. That's when David opened the door from his room and he yelled that he was having a panic attack. He needed to get out of the house. Jessica got up, threw him a black t-shirt to cover his eyes, and she led him to the door. She handed him her cell phone and said they'd call when they were done. On her way back over to where Stacy lie, Jessica had taken off this chain-link belt thing she was wearing. She slipped it around Stacy's neck. She pulled it back hard and then she began to strangle Stacy. It took a very long 45 minutes for Stacy to die. And because this wasn't gory enough for the girls, the whole savage murder was captured on Valerie's cell phone. Valerie had set her phone up to film the entire ordeal. To the lesbian couple, it was a sensual, dark fantasy, and they planned to revel in it long after Stacy's presence was gone. In the video, the couple mocked Stacy's English accent. They made disparaging remarks about their victim. There were even parts they narrated as if you couldn't tell what was going on. The couple shared a passionate kiss over the heap that was once a bubbly, thriving 16-year-old girl. The video ends with the couple mopping up blood and removing a blanket from Stacy's semi-naked body. David called the couple about 1.30 a.m. He asked if Stacy was dead. Jessica said yes, but to give them a couple of hours to clean up before he came back in. The girls loaded Stacy's body headfirst into a wheelie-type garbage bin. About 3.30 a.m., David walked into the home. The home was still somewhat messy. He helped the couple take the bin outside to the shed. This is where Stacy's body would remain until the three decided how to dispose of it. The following day, the three roommates went to a home improvement store. They were pricing items that they felt they needed. Their list said a chainsaw, shovels, a wheelbarrow, and lime. Now remember, they just were pricing the items. They didn't actually purchase them yet. But their plan for Stacy's body was to disintegrate it enough to use it as mulch in the backyard garden. Before the three roommates could afford their big purchases, several days later the police came calling to the house. Stacy's parents, who had expected her home on the 18th like she had said, never came back, so they sent the police to bring their daughter home. 
police did a quick search of the property. Stacy's body was found in a wheelie-type trash bin in the shed. All three residents were arrested. The lesbian couple admitted to police that they murdered Stacy. They said it was simply because she annoyed them. Later, the police discovered that the motive was much deeper than that. Jealousy and sexual sadism were the key factors to Stacy's killing. David's trial was first after he spent about eight months locked up awaiting his trial. He pleaded guilty to being an accessory after the murder. David was sentenced to a measly two years with time already served. He only had to serve another four months or so to be considered for parole, which I find outlandish. This dickhead could have stopped the whole thing. He's lucky I wasn't his judge. A year or so of jail time awaiting their trial, Valerie and Jessica's day in court finally came. The girls were escorted into the court by their jailers. Valerie and Jessica kept smiling at each other. This really unsettled their judge. The judge told the young women he was hoping a year locked away would give them time to reflect on the gravity of their crime, but it was clear they held no value for Stacy's life. During the trial, when descriptions of particularly graphic and gruesome parts of Stacy's murder were relayed, the couple would giggle and whisper to each other. Then they offered nothing more than they were annoyed and jealous, and that's why they killed Stacy. In court, it was heard Valerie and Jessica had only known each other a few months, and it was bizarre how intense their need to prove their loyalty and love for each other was. It was an obsession. Neither young woman was remorseful for what they did to Stacy. They were both found guilty of first-degree murder. They were sentenced to 24 years in prison each. The judge stated he held very little hope that these young women would ever be rehabilitated. Both were put in separate prisons so they could not continue their relationship with each other. Right before they were separated, they agreed to break up, and Jessica began to regret the decision immediately after she was transferred to her different facility. While she was incarcerated, Jessica met Australian serial killer Catherine Burney, Catherine and her husband had murdered at least four women in Perth. Jessica was able to get Catherine to write letters to Valerie for her, using a fictitious name in different handwriting. But one day, one of those letters was intercepted by prison staff. The intercepted letter read, Now that you're gone, I cannot breathe. It's anybody's guess where we will be in five or even fifty years from now. But one thing I do know, my heart is and always will be yours and yours alone. Do you speak to the moon? I still speak to her nearly every night. The moon will carry your words to me if you ever want to send them. My heart is consumed with the regret of time lost and time never had. But as either friends or lovers, my mind is my universe and all I see is you. Such sweet and romantic words to come from such a murderess. Another letter of Jessica's, which might have been more of a journal-type entry than a letter to Valerie, it went like this. 
As soon as it started, I wasn't me. I have never felt that kind of lust for blood before. Something in me changed. The feel of her blood sprayed all over me was almost a romantic animalistic lust. I don't know when or how. All I know is something in me fell in place. That is a terrifying read. Five years into her sentence, Valerie attempted a prison escape. She failed, and she was put into solitary confinement for a period of time. Two years after Valerie's failed attempt to escape, she was in a prison fight, and three guards were injured and they all required medical attention. I don't think Valerie's ever going to get out of prison, which is a good thing. We won't know more about Jessica being able to be paroled for another 10 years. But there's a good chance neither woman will ever see freedom. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Today, I'll be telling you about Tracy Wigginton, also known as the Lesbian Vampire Killer. Trigger warning for animal cruelty and self-harm. Tracy Wigginton was born in Rockhampton, Australia, on August 4th, 1965. At the age of three, her mother's parents, George and Avril Wigginton, who were very rich, adopted her. The early years of her life were merely horrible. George and Avril were sadistic abusers and liked having power and control over Tracy and her older, also adopted, stepsister. Allegedly, the grandparents would physically and sexually assault Tracy. By 1989, she had lost both of her grandparents and they had left her an inheritance of $75,000. Tracy attempted to go live with her biological mother, Rhonda, but she did not accept the fact that Tracy was a lesbian. So Tracy decided to move in with a family friend named Kay. 
When she was 20 years old, she moved out. Kay said that Tracy was a loving girl, gifted, an artist, and a devout Catholic. Tracy began to call herself Bobby in 1982 and chopped her hair off extremely short. She worked as a bouncer at a club as well as a sex worker for a short time. She was in a relationship with a young woman at the time called Sunshine. They were looking for a male to get Tracy pregnant so they could have a baby. However, when Tracy did get pregnant, she had a miscarriage, which is around the time she started getting into witchcraft. She quit showing up for mass and said she was in communication with a white witch in Adelaide. It's alleged that Tracy would take the lives of animals, specifically goats, pigs, and cows, drinking their blood. She was in her early 20s when her thoughts got even more bizarre and twisted, wanting to slay a man to feed on his blood. 24-year-old Tracy had met her lover, Lisa Pudachinsky, two weeks prior to October 20th, 1989. Tracy was cheating on her current lover, Sunshine, with Lisa, who was 24 years old as well. Lisa was not mentally stable and had been hospitalized around 80 times within five years due to self-mutilation and overdoses. The night of the 20th, Lisa, Tracy, and two other friends, Kim Jervis and Tracy Waugh, both 23 years old, were hanging out at a bar, downing alcohol. Kim Jervis was a doll and Garfield cat collector. She wanted to be a nun, but after breaking a crucifix necklace, reportedly, she was told she was the chosen one. Sources say that Kim thought in her friend circle, or cult, that she was the destroyer, reportedly claiming that she had the ability to rip the arms off anyone who stopped her from feeding. Their friend Tracy Waugh was really timid and attended an all-girls Catholic private school. She believed Tracy Wigginton was telepathic, that she had the ability to become invisible, but also show cat eyes if she wanted to, and believed that Tracy Wigginton was married to the devil. Tracy Wigginton convinced Lisa and her friends to assist her with her sick desires, and they did. They may have felt peer pressured, but disregarding human life and the consequences, they made the decision to help go on the hunt for a victim. This would spill over into the late night of the 21st. They were riding around blasting Prince's music while they sought out a victim for Tracy. 47-year-old Edward Baldick was a husband with five children and even had two grandchildren. He truly loved his job, he enjoyed going to the beach, and he adored his family. He had been drinking that night with his friends at a pub and was making his way home on foot. He came to a standstill waiting on a taxi. Edward thought this night was going to be like any other after a good time at the bar playing darts. Unfortunately, it wasn't, and he was in danger because suddenly, the women spotted him. 
They could tell he was under the influence and they prayed on him, telling him to come get inside the car. For a lot of people, hopping into a car full of women would seem like a harmless, fun, and maybe kind of exciting time. This was anything but harmless. They drove to Orley Park, which was not but a small walk to the Brisbane River, and then they parked the car. The whole way there, Edward held Tracy Wigginton's hand, and she later said she felt he was lonely. She was being sexual towards him and persuaded Edward to come with her so she could pleasure him. He was so inebriated that he could barely walk or even get his words out. He was almost falling over. The other women stayed in the car while Tracy led him to the bank of the river. She went back to the car and asked her partner Lisa to come with her. Tracy and Lisa walked to the bank with Tracy carrying a big hunting knife. Edward was expecting to have endless pleasure that night. He had taken all of his clothes off except for his socks and neatly folded them beside himself while Tracy said that she would be right back because she had to pee. Needless to say, there was no pleasure whatsoever in what was about to happen to him. Tracy began to stab Edward over and over. Lisa sprinted back to the car while Tracy relentlessly kept jabbing the knife into Edward around 27 times all over his body. She had also sliced his face and neck. By the time Tracy finally stopped, she had nearly severed Edward's head almost completely off, barely hanging on by a bit of his spinal cord. Tracy also claims that she did drink his blood. Tracy Wall stayed in the car, but Kim Jervis walked down with them to see the deceased body. Tracy Wigginton got home that night and realized she had left her ATM card behind. She went back to the scene, but she couldn't find it. Well, during this time, Edward's wife knew it wasn't like him to stay out late, so she knew something was wrong when she woke up in the middle of the night and he was not in bed beside her. He loved to play darts, and he was only going to the pub for drinks and a dart competition, which he did win that night. His wife called the police to report her husband missing. However, he wouldn't be missing for long. The next morning, Stephen Karen was on his boat and saw what he thought was a body, so he yelled for the joggers to get out of the way. He rode to the bank so he could make sure he was seeing what he thought he was seeing. Indeed, it was, and Stephen called the authorities about a naked man's body on the bank and explained how gruesome the scene was. In one of Edward's shoes, there was an ATM card which had Tracy Wigginton's name on it. When she was stripping off her shirt, seducing Edward, her card either fell into his shoe and she never noticed, or, with it being so dark, Edward may have thought the card was his and he tucked it away in there. Either way, that was the smoking gun that led to the arrest of Tracy Wigginton, Lisa, Kim, and the other Tracy. 
In the beginning, Tracy Wigginton made up excuses and claimed that she didn't know anything about the murder. She said she had been at the riverbank that night and lost her card, but she didn't know anything about a murder. When she finally confessed, she told authorities, quote, I walked around behind him. I took my knife out of my back pocket. He asked me what I was doing. I said nothing and stabbed him. He went up to grab my hand. I pushed his hand down, withdrew the knife, and stabbed him in the side of the neck. I stabbed him in the other side of the neck, and I continuously stabbed him. I then grabbed him by the hair on his head and pulled back, stabbed him in the front of the throat, and at that stage he was still alive." While Tracy was being interrogated, she expressed to the police that she felt nothing when she was stabbing Edward, and she was also puffing on a cigarette right beside Edward as she watched him die in front of her. After she was sure he was deceased, she walked to the water to wash off her arms, hands, and knife. Some sources say that she threw the knife in the river. When her trial began, she called herself a vampire, and the news had a field day with this. The media frenzy around her trial in 1991 took over the television, radio airwaves, and newspapers. Talks of her feeding on the blood of animals, having satanic powers, and always wearing black. Information that police put out to the public about the women's confessions of curiosity of cults and vampirism led to the media explosion of what was known as the vampire murder. During this time, the media was covering the Gulf War but news reporters would start talking about the trial more than the war. The newspaper headlines read, quote, Lesbian vampire killer lured man with promise of sex before killing him for his blood. And, killer was devil's wife with power to control minds. This gruesome murder was being sensationalized like a horror movie. But a father, a husband, a grandfather, an uncle, and much more had lost his life here. These are the kind of things that need to stop. However, the media does whatever they have to do to make that money, as we know. Even if it means highlighting, sensationalizing, and giving some type of fame to a killer, who even boasted about how hard it was to be famous. And the media was really not paying much attention to the victim, who should have been in the headlines, not Tracy. That's the issue we still have today when attempting to find information on victims. There is seldom a lot of information about them, but there is an abundance of information on the perpetrators. If the news reporters and other media outlets had sat down with the victims' families, and got more information about them and who the victims were over the span of their lives, we'd have more information to tell all of you about them. But, of course, the harsh reality is the media uses what's going to sell 
and a wild headline is going to get more views on television and sells more papers than a respectful one about a victim. The family of Edward felt this as well, even talking about him to Nine News because they were disgusted how the media portrayed him only as a drunk with no further information just because he was inebriated before he was killed. His daughter, ironically also named Tracy, said that her father was so much more than that. She said, quote, He loved playing with the grandchildren. He was always playing when you went over there. We had swings in the back, and he was always working away a lot. So when he was home, we'd always go to the beach, because Mom never drove. So he used to be the driver. When he was home, we were always doing something. He was so playful. Mom would always be yelling at him, Edward, you're going to hurt yourself. One night a week, the family would get to have a pizza night. And his daughter Tracy said, quote, Everything would be cleared out of the fridge, and we would put on a pizza and sometimes you had to run. That was his favorite meal. Even though the pain will always be there, Tracy's sons have a striking resemblance to their grandfather. Tracy said, quote, Both of my sons, you look at them and you're like, wow. It's nice to see his genes have carried on so prominently. In 1991, Tracy Wigginton's mother, Rhonda Hopkins, gave an interview saying, quote, she told me she didn't drink blood, and I believe her. When she was a kid, she could never stand the sight of blood. She's a beautiful, loving, good-natured girl. To her family, Tracy will always be this gorgeous, loving, wacky kid who always used to have us in stitches. Tracy is not evil. She said, I've killed that man, I've done it, I regret it, and I will have to live with it now. She is extremely charismatic. You can't help but like her. She's very popular in jail. End quote. While on trial, the jury heard Tracy tell them about how she, in fact, drank the blood of pigs and cows that she would get from the butcher shop, saying she didn't live on solid food. Her significant other, Lisa, testified that she would self-harm, cutting her own wrist just so Tracy could suck the blood out of her wounds. Tracy's mother, Rhonda, refused to believe the evaluation of the psychiatrists, saying that her daughter had multiple personalities. She said Tracy had a, quote, butch side, who she called Bobby, and that Tracy never had problems in her life until she moved from Rockhampton to Brisbane and got mixed up in the lesbian scene. Not only did the psychiatrists say that Tracy had multiple personalities, but they also put her under hypnosis before trial. And Tracy said something really disturbing. Quote, I'd like to slice the top off of someone's head and say, think, let me see you think. End quote. After hearing all of the details about the homicide and testimonies, Tracy Wigginton and Lisa were sentenced to life in prison. Kim and the other Tracy were found guilty of manslaughter and were sentenced to 18 years in jail. 
Later, Kim's sentence went down to 12 years, and the other Tracy was eventually acquitted after she argued that she did not get out of the car and she did not have a hand in this murder at all. In 2008, Lisa was put in the resettlement leave program. She was allowed to leave for 12 hours every two months for six months. Despite the fact that around 2006, Tracy Wigginton and another inmate and prison guard got into an altercation that caused her to be moved to a more secure prison, at 47 years old, she was let go on parole during the early morning of January 11, 2012. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. A spokesperson for the Department of Corrective Services said Tracy was being taken to a private place. The rules of her parole were that she could not contact any of the women involved or Edward's family, and that she could not make a profit by selling her story. Before Tracy was released, she claimed that she met with two of Edward's relatives and that they had forgiven her. But Edward's niece, Tanya, who was super close with her uncle and was only 14 years old when he was taken from her, said that Tracy was a liar and they did not want Tracy to be free. Tanya said, quote, For my uncle and for my family, it's a life sentence. We live with it every day. And life sentence to me is life sentence. It's not 16 years or even 21 years. It's forever. She took somebody's life. I don't believe that she has a place in society. I know certainly none of us in his immediate family have ever met with her or forgiven her. That will probably never happen. I could not imagine anyone in the immediate family that would even do that." End quote. Many of Edward's family members even changed their last names due to all of the public attention. Tanya stated, quote, The name being a bit unique, it sticks in people's heads, and they remember it for the wrong reasons. Every time you think it's just calmed down, the news finds a way of sensationalizing it again, and it brings it all up for everybody over and over again. For me now, I have children of my own, and it's brought it into a whole new generation. It's not the way that they would want to know their great uncle." End quote. Pat Glancy was the lead investigator into the murder of Edward Baldick. He said Tracy Wigginton never showed an ounce of true remorse for what she had done, and he feels that no one is safe with her being out. Even though her lawyer said that she was not in good enough health to be a threat to anyone, her half-sister and the victim's family did not want her released. 
While Tracy was in prison, she was injecting herself with drugs and caught hepatitis C. She gained a lot of weight and has chronic back and knee pain, which her lawyer said restricts her mobility. She has diabetes and walks with crutches. Pat Glancy stated, quote, The only thing she was ever sorry about was that she got caught. She's no fool. To be honest, I'm not convinced she's as sick as she makes out, and I don't agree with her release. Put it this way, I wouldn't want her living next to me. End quote. Supposedly, Tracy Wigginton is now residing in Tambourine, Queensland. Tracy had been laying low, but in 2019, she crept out of the shadows and onto Facebook, where she began to post some odd things. Using the profile of one of her alter egos, Nine News reported that Tracy had allegedly posted vampire pictures and a meme that said, quote, now panic because I'm back. There were two pictures on another post. One picture was a demon with vampire teeth. The other picture was a skeleton in a graveyard. The Facebook name she was using at the time was Oberon Fairchild. O-B-E-R-O-N Fairchild. It seems that she still gets off on making people feel frightened. And that does it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe and take care. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.